you know, Danny, no matter what movie we might be doing, we're not here to descend today. We're here to ascend. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. This week, we're going to be talking about The Descent. Before we do, we're going to get high. Danny, what'd you bring me today? I decided to try out a different dispensary here in town. And with that, I went by Spark One and picked up Two different strains, two pre-rolls, and one of those coming in are the motor breath strain. And this particular one is a indica dominant hybrid, 70% indica, 30% sativa. It ranges somewhere in the upper 20s. I think this one is right at like 28%, give or take. Mm. The effects on this, you get a body high, you'll feel euphoria, you might get hungry, you'll feel relaxed and maybe a little sleepy. The flavors are a little bit citrusy. You'll get that lemon and pine notes, and the aromas pretty much the same. The only difference here is you might get a little earthy and woody flavor from that. And the icicle strains, this one's a little different. The information that I got off of this is that it is a cross of white sherbet and jet fuel gelato. Okay. It is a hybrid. It says this one is kind of interesting because it kind of falls in the middle where you kind of feel like creative, but you also feel kind of like mellow and chilled out and stuff like that. This one, it says you'll get some aromas of grape and diesel after that the highly psychoactive payoff it hits after the first hit I'm like okay that's kind of interesting is this icicle gonna get me wet it like. might get you wet <laughs> yeah, i got the sherman helmsley over here but it says its duality makes it a solid choice for any time but weather advisory smoking too much of this in the morning may mean you have to give yourself a snow day okay okay yeah so that's coming off of this particular get seed dispensary so oh, okay yeah. gotcha i should say we're fried squirms. We're here to get high and talk about horror movies. We're onto our green hits. That's why we're talking about weed right now. I didn't set up this fucking episode hardly at all, but it doesn't matter. I brought you some Crockett's Haze. Now, it's Crockett's Haze because it's bred by Crockett's Farms. From what I understand, as I was trying to look through some of their other strains, is that whenever Crockett is actually in their name, at least from what I could see of the other ones, is because they have their own their strain gotcha that they've never released the genetics on but whenever it's like crockett's tangy or crockett's whatever it's that mixed with their gotcha. house plant their crock so it's strain. like they probably found a phenotype that they like a lot mm-hmm. and so as far as this crockett's haze go i got very little information it's crockett's so you have to assume it's crossed with their crockett's plant gotcha and the haze it's literally just an old haze. I'm not cool super silver, not amnesia, just not haze, man. lemon. It's just an old haze. Nice. So it is a sativa dominant. There's a little indica in there, but hardly enough to talk about. This is described best as like a hiking weed. Okay. You know what I mean? You're going to get the up, a little bit energizing, but... The taste is going to be a little bit more on, like, the normal hazy side with kind of rough, a little bit herbly, a little bit piney. Right. Do you think this one might also pair well with maybe traversing caves? You know, maybe. Maybe. I mean, hiking is a lot like spelunking, right? Yeah, that's what I was getting at. And the icicles are kind of like stalactites, there you right? Go. Yeah. Dude, we, we themed this one. We <laughs> wasn't even trying one. subconsciously. Sometimes that's what happens. That's right. I like it. And you know, I bet the crawlers have some pretty bad motor breath. <laughs> probably right. <laughs> yeah, some probably funky breath Earthy. of some kind. That's for sure. <laughs> We're going to fucking spark these up. 
and then we will get into the guts and bolts, talk about who and what went into The Descent. Guts and Bolts. All right. Guts and Bolts, The Descent. Who and what went into the making of this wonderful, wonderful movie. Before we get there, spoiler-free setup, if you don't know what you're getting with The Descent. Shortly after a horrible tragedy, a group of six women decide to go on a caving adventure, where drama and then more ensues. That works, right? I like it, yeah. For a spoiler-free setup of what the film entails, it's the mark, man. Yeah, I like it. So, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the people who go into making the film and the actors and actresses who star in front of the camera. And this week, as a gentleman, we've actually talked about before is because we're talking about director Neil Marshall, who we've talked about when we reviewed TV's Hannibal. And we talked about season three back on episode 42. And one of the episodes in that series, in that season, was The Great Red Dragon, which Neil directed. And we actually talked about him again because of a werewolf film. We've got it hanging on the wall. That's right. In studio. One of my prize posters. Dude, That's it a is fucking so sick. Right? It is sick. Yeah, and I am talking about Dog Soldiers, and we did that on episode 63. And for those who might need a little bit more of a refresher course on some of his other bodies of work... He directed a few of the more famous Game of Thrones episodes, including Blackwater yeah. from the finale of the second season, or it was the episode before the finale, I believe. I think you're right. I think it was yeah. the episode before. And he also did The Watchers on the Wall. Yeah, that was a dope episode, too. Some other things of note, I know you're a fan of one of his other films, No Marshalls, that is, is Doomsday. Dude, Doomsday is so much fun. It's a fucking mess of a movie, so I understand why it, it kind of gets panned by a lot of people, but I fucking dig yeah. that movie. <laughs> nice, and a few other things of note. He has done the film Centurion. He did the segment Bad Seed for the Tales of Halloween film. He was the director on the updated version of Hellboy. Yep. And looks like 2020's The Reckoning, which looks pretty interesting as well. The trailer for that just dropped the other day. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, likewise. So I know that was something I read about over the weekend, too, off of Bloody Disgusting. So I don't right. know. We'll see. We'll see. It looks interesting. Now, what makes it easy about the writers on this is that Neil Marshall actually wrote the script for the screenplay. The cinematographer is a gentleman we've actually talked about before, and that gentleman is Sam McCurdy. He helped with Dog Soldiers when we reviewed episode 63 once again. Some other things of note from Mr. McCurdy. So he was the DP on Doomsday. He helped with that Game of Thrones episode back in 2012. See some projects more recently that he's related to were Lost in Space. He did 11 episodes back in 2018 through 2019. Television show Pennyworth, three episodes of that, Into the Badlands, he did uh, four episodes as well. So some pretty interesting television work from this gentleman. I haven't watched Into the Badlands yet, but from what I've seen from commercials and stuff, it makes sense that he's DP'd on some of those episodes. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. That's cool. Sweet. Here's a really cool <clears throat> gentleman that we have on the film. This is the editor, John Harris. And along with being an editor, he's also a director, and I'll mention that here in a little bit, but some films of note from editing... He was the editor on Snatch from 2000. No shit. Have you ever seen the film Layer Cake? Another mm. good one. He was the editor on the film Eden Lake, a film called Kick-Ass you might have heard of. 127 Hours, The Woman in Black, 
Kingsman. Oh shit! So he's Secret fucking Service. edited some fucking some movie movies. Yeah. Damn. T two Train Spotting, The Dig, which is an upcoming film, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but. There is a sequel to The Descent, and that's The Descent Part 2, and he is the director on that film. Mm-hmm. All right, this music was composed by David Julian. It's a gentleman, once again, we've talked about before. We talked about him when we reviewed The Cabin in the Woods. That was back on episode 60. And once again, another guy's that got some really that cool long stuff. Ago? Yeah, it doesn't feel like it, but <laughs> damn. <laughs> Here we are, dude. Yeah, some films of note I wanted to mention because he's got some really cool ones. If you've ever seen. Christopher Nolan's early works, the film Following and or Memento. Okay. He also helped compose the music for Insomnia, another one of Christopher Nolan's films. He also helped with uh, such things as The Prestige, another Christopher Nolan film. Makes sense. Eden Lake, The Descent Part 2, the film Hidden, and 2016's Broken Vows and Bachelor Games. Hmm. So some pretty interesting films there. This was produced by Christian Coulson. Production companies were Celador Films, Northman Productions, and Pave UK. The distributors were Pave Distribution. They helped with the 2005 United Kingdom theatrical release, and Lionsgate Films helped with the 2006 United States theatrical release. Had a couple of different release dates. It premiered at the Dead by Dawn Horror Film Festival in the UK on July 6, 2005. And it released here stateside August 4th, 2006. It had an estimated budget of about three and a half million British pounds. And the box office, it did fairly well. I got $57.1 million worldwide. And this is in the wake of the London bombings. Mm. So it opened up the same weekend that shit happened. So it probably... Would have made more. Yeah, could have had a stronger box office success. But still pretty damn decent, almost 20 times its budget. Not too bad. I do have a tagline. There are several, but the one that I chose for this particular film is Afraid of the Dark, You Will Be. Okay. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, it's pretty much on the nose, but, you know, it is what it is. All right, and then moving into our cast, I'm going to start off with actress Shauna McDonald, and she plays the role of Sarah Carter. And some things of note from Miss McDonald, she was in such films as Jetsam, she was in the 2008 film Mutant Chronicles. She reprises a role in The Descent Part 2. If you've ever seen the film Filth, there's another werewolf film. I'm kind of actually curious about it. I have a copy of it, just haven't watched it yet. And that's uh, 2015's movie Howl. You might have seen her in Star Wars The Last Jedi, where she played a temporary command center resistance pilot. And more recently, she was in 2019's Balance, Not Symmetry. And she starred in a couple of other television series, Probably more notably in Danger Mouse, where she voiced mm. Professor uh, Squeaking Cluck, which is kind of neat, yeah. And she's done some other things of note as well, but I think that's probably where some people might recognize her. All right, here's an actress we've talked about before when we reviewed Ben Wheatley's Kill List on episode 98, and I am talking about Miana Burring, where she plays the role of Sam Vernett. And uh, speaking of some really cool roles and what have you, let's see, I think of her... In uh, The Witcher, more recently. Right. Because she's DeVries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really neat. Yeah. Tessiah. Let's see. Some people might recognize her, too, because she was in those uh, Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn. She was also in Doomsday as Callie. Some people might recognize her, but she was in Ripper Street as Long Susan from 2012 through 2016. Downton Abbey as well. Well, you, you, mentioned, that? Yeah. you mentioned The Witcher, but that goes double. 
because she does a voice in the Blood and Wine DLC, yeah, which I'm actually midway playing through. That's really cool. <laughs> so there you go, man. All right, we also have Natalie Mendoza. She plays a role of Juno Kaplan. And some things of note from her, she was in Moulin Rouge as a China doll. She was in the television series Hotel Babylon. I think more recently she was in Blood Drive, which it looks like that's still in production. You know, I got to mention, I'm kind of fucking kicking myself that I didn't recognize Mayanna Burring from Kill List. Because as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, that's fucking right. Yeah, I, I like, should yeah. have recognized her. Anyway, sorry, I had to back it up for a second just because I was still thinking about that. But nah, that's that's quite all right, man. It's easy to forget a lot of these people. Considering how many freaking episodes we've done. All right, we have Saskia Mulder. She plays the role of Rebecca Vernet, which is Sam's older sister in the film. Some things of note from her is she was uh, Fist in the Channel Four series, The Book Group. She also made an appearance as Francesca in series one, episode one of Jonathan Creek. All right, we have Alex Rita plays the role of Elizabeth Beth O'Brien in the film. And some things of note from her, she was in E4's Misfits, where she portrayed the probation officer Sally. Have you watched Misfits? I've seen, like, bits and pieces of a few episodes here and there. She's yeah. mostly in the first season. I think, t- I mean, I think she's technically in eight episodes, but I think at least two of those are actually flashbacks. She's probably oh. still credited, but yeah. When she first popped up, I was like... Oh, what the fuck? She looks enough like the actress that plays Supergirl's sister in the Supergirl show that at first I was like, oh, no, that can't be. And then I did the mental math and I'm like, no, she would have been way too young at the time. And I was like, but I do know her. And then I was like, oh, fuck, Misfits. Misfits. I love Misfits. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, it says she's also Captain Caroline Walsh in seasons one and two of ITV's SAS drama Ultimate Force. She was also in uh, 2001's Arachnid. And let's see, she was featured in Guinea Pigs as well. She's another one of the cast members who was in Jetsam, which I mentioned earlier. All right, we have Nora Jane Noon. She plays the role of Holly. And some things of note, she was in such things as uh, Ella Enchanted. Some people might recognize her as uh, Fairy Number 1 in that. <laughs> she was in Doomsday, where she played Reed in that. She was in a direct video movie, Beyond the Rave. She was also in Legend of the Bog, The Descent Part 2. I think... A couple of these actresses reappear because they make cameo appearances. Dude, she was in the 2009 Day of the Triffids. Yeah, I saw that. That's pretty cool. And uh, she was in an episode of Atlantis in the role of Atlanta. I guess season one episode. Yeah, episode 10. That's pretty cool. All right. We have Oliver Milburn. He plays the role of Paul Carter. He plays Sarah Carter's husband in the film. Some things of note from him, actually, is that he's also a restorator. That was kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. So some things of note from him is that he portrayed Edgar Linton in Withering Heights back in 2011. You see, in 2013, he lent his voice to the characters of Bartholomew Roberts and John in the video game Assassin's Creed for Black Flag. was also a regular in the first two seasons of The Royals, playing the head of royal security. All right, and last but not least, I have Molly Kale. She plays the role of Jessica Carter. And if I'm not mistaken, I read that she is the niece of Neil Marshall. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's two guys I'm going to make mention of a little bit later on because they play mm. some other characters, which you wouldn't recognize anyway unless we mention it. Right. And we will mention it. <laughs> so I'll save them for last. So yeah, that pretty much rounds out the cast and crew. You did give us a brief setup of what the film entails, so we have to give you some warnings heading into the next section. 
Warnings. Okay, so if you're going into this completely blind, <laughs> like no all, yeah, if you have no idea what the descent is or is about, and you're still listening to this episode, then the warning is going to include a mild spoiler of there's creatures. If you don't like subterranean creatures, yeah, I mean this is a bit of a creature feature. Yeah, if you're claustrophobic, Oof, yeah, it will give there's you some at least anxiety. one scene. That even if you're not claustrophobic might get to you. There is actually a good bit of blood and gore. gore. And a lot of times when we bring up blood and gore, I've noticed at least, it seems like we get to it after the fact. There's a lot of violence in this movie. There is. I agree with that as well. Some of the gorier moments happen in fights. Yeah. This is actually a rather violent movie. Done really well. <laughs> <laughs> kind of surprised me. It's been a while since I watched it. So, creatures, blood, gore, claustrophobia, language. Ooh, I will say this too. Um, you're going to see some open flesh. Ooh, yeah. Big bone breaks. Yeah, yeah. So, I didn't want to throw that out there because you get to see it. Yeah. That's about it though, right? For the most part, yeah. When I booted up this movie, I rented it on Amazon to watch it. And, you know, it said rated R and gives the, for what, you know, violence, da-da-da. It said sexual content, and I can't think of sexual content in this movie. Honestly, I can't either. There's one dirty joke. I think that falls under language, and it's a really bad joke. (laughs) Yeah, but I just don't see the sexual anything with that. Yeah. We'll get into it. How did this movie make us squeal? The Descent. Let's find out. How does that make you squeal? Going down. (laughs) That's a very loaded question. Getting high. That's almost always a definite. Yeah. Hell yeah, The Descent. Dude, it's been way too long since I watched this movie. That's the first thing I'm going to say. I've seen this movie. I dig this movie. It's been probably a decade since I watched this movie. I can't think of any time I've watched it sooner. No, I mean, it is one that I did see in the theater. I do recall doing Mm. that. And I might have watched it once or twice after that. But yeah, it's been a while. I know I didn't see it in the theater. Ooh, I'm mostly sure I didn't see it in the theater. I guess I'm not 100% sure I didn't see it in the theater, but I'm mostly sure I didn't see this one in the theater. This one I do have a weird, like, I know my memories of this are fucked up because... Every time I think about the first time I watched this movie, I think about watching it in the summer in high school, but it didn't come out till I was out of high school. So I don't know what movie this movie has fucking overwritten the memory of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. But I have a fucking Mandela effect going on in my brain, and I know it's not right. Like, because it came out in the States between my freshman and sophomore year of college. So that's, I would have seen it probably when it came out on video, like that fall. Yeah. That makes sense. Something like that. But like when I just try to remember watching this, I remember watching it like at home in the summer, not in the fall, like in between, like on summer break between like, I don't know, like sophomore and junior year. And that is completely false. (laughs) 
So I guess I don't have a really clear memory of my first time watching this, but I did always remember bits of it. Like, I don't fucking like crawling in caves because of this fucking... The idea of crawling in caves partially because of this movie and because I don't like that idea to begin with, but... Yeah, it does help compound those two together and like, yeah, I'm still saying fuck that shit, man. No thanks. It sounds like a novel idea, but this is, of course, an extreme version of that, but there is a reality of it, too, where... You don't go messing around or mucking around in places you have no business being in. <laughs> and I can't think of a logical reason for me being in any caves right now. No. No, fuck no. <laughs> There's no reason ever for me to be in a cave like this. And, like, I get it. It's some people's interest. But I was trying, yeah, to, gauge, I was trying to gauge just, like, how far I would go with something like this when I was watching this movie. And I realized it depends on a lot of factors. Like, first... That entrance that they dropped that was down dope into, as fuck. yeah, I'll do that. That's no cool. problem. Just hang out right there. <laughs> yeah, just fucking even the drop in on the rope, whatever. That's I, cool. I'll do that. You start getting into some of the more underground shit. Yeah, no, dude. When they're starting to, I know it's getting ahead, but yeah, when they get in the tighter spots and things like that, that's where I'm like, all right, you know what? I think I'm good. Here's the thing: I would get in a tighter spot like that. If the cave I was in was like a mile from the road and that tight (laughs) spot was only like 100 foot underground. Yeah, that's not too bad. I mean, that's still realistic. Even if I get stuck, I'm not very far from some sort of help. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still within reason. You get like 200 foot underground and like 10 miles away from civilization. I'll still go through a little tight spot. (laughs) Yeah. But it's got to be like five foot long <laughs> like, like i like yeah, somebody's got to be able to winnie the poo me through that shit yeah right give you a boost <laughs> if we're out as far away from bullshit as they were supposed to be the only tight spot i'm fucking going through is one where like is a fucking door frame in width <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i'd still be willing saying. to go through somewhat of a tight spot but maybe because not i understand the situation like I am, yeah. i'm in but i have to be able to be standing up yeah and I have to have both hands and arms free on either side of it. It has yeah, to be less wide than I am. Yeah, you ain't never lie. <laughs> it's too dangerous, man. And it couldn't be suspended above anything either. Fuck that noise. And if it includes me going underwater in any sort, fuck, I'm out. Yeah, everybody nope. has their limits. I ain't going underwater in any fucking cave. Come on, dude. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> Seriously. I don't want to die that bad. No, it's like, I like an adventure. Maybe not this far down, but, you know. Yeah, like, so within reason. And I don't want to die just because my own fucking brain's physiology goes against me and just induces a panic attack in that situation and fucks me up. Because it it would be easy to do in these circumstances, you know, granted. Because in this situation, they're going in with the idea that this is going to be a very easy, just kind of like maybe a few Mm -hmm. hours in and out. I didn't look up what a fucking level two cave system means. I didn't either, but, but... Level two sounds like something I could probably do. Yeah, like... with Obviously with help, because I don't know shit about caving, but... Likewise, but it'd still be physically be possible to do, regardless. I would think at that point, right? You learn a few things here and there. You kind of wing it. You can do it. They went down there and found out was uh, something completely different and arbitrary. So, in that set of circumstances, man, that's why I say it's... Ah, man, you got to really know where you're going and who you can trust. And <laughs> it brings up all kinds of issues, which is fun. That's what makes this film an interesting film within itself. 
All right, so I was trying to look up really quick if I could find what a level two cave would be, since I think that's what they say, right? Like Boreham or whatever is supposed to be fucking level two. Right. right. I don't know if there's any actual level system from what I just Googled. Maybe my Google foo is just off today. But what I did find was a caving message board where people were arguing about how you should grade caves in the UK. It seems like there's a lot of discussion about like grading caves doesn't, no matter how you do it, doesn't tend to take into account the fact that simply the different lengths of reach that people have can make a cave significantly easier or harder much less whether they're fat or skinny or whatever for getting through some of the smaller bits and stuff. But somebody was saying a grade one should be so easy. You rarely come across one and grade two is easy. And then somebody else is saying like grade two, moderate and small pitches. Yeah. Somebody's comparing it to cornflakes and toast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There you go. That's any indicator. That's supposed to mean anyway, let's back up a little bit because I forgot that this movie starts the way it does. Man, you're not kidding. (laughs) Before they get to the cave, shit happens with Sarah. Major. This is the spoiler section, so I do want to point out that when they're done with the whitewater rafting trip, once you know the information from later, the Paul and Juno shit really sticks out. Oh, yeah, especially second time through. Especially second time through. Yeah, because now you're armed with all that information. Yeah. And, of course, that's also obviously what's on Paul's mind. As they're leaving. 100, because she even mentions, like, you seem a little out of it. Are you all right? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. And even though, from what we see of their personalities later in the movie, Juno is definitely the more into this extreme sport one, it seems like he's just not happy in general that she's doing it. He's like, I want to have you around, baby. Oh, so that. And it's like, dude, your fucking wife and your kid or what are you doing dude yeah uh duh although natalie mendoza i mean I, i'm not saying i blame the guy but i mean <laughs> but i mean let's take in consideration like yeah. said you're with your family dude however i mean that's all the fucking growth we get though we get that one scene where i think oh, he yeah. killed especially in retrospect i think he kills it the fucking two minutes of screen time he has he acts his ass off yeah because you get a lot through his facial features and the way he's looking at every character. That's really important when there's emotion involved and what you find out, the whole involvement with him and Juno and this accident. Yeah, yeah. And then the accident happens. And that's a gnarly sound effect when the metal pole goes through his fucking brain. I know, man. And here's something that can be a little confusing, especially going into this film for the first time. There's a quick difference between UK driving and United States driving because we drive on opposite sides of the road and opposite sides of the car. Mm-hmm. So I remember watching this. I was like, oh, yeah, he was driving because they were in Scotland at the time. Right. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's why it makes sense when it went through his side of the windshield, which normally for us would be the passenger side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that can throw you off a little bit. Regardless, it is gnarly. The repercussions are severe. That's one of the, maybe not one of the only times, but it's one of the only true gory discretion shots where we don't actually see anything except the pole coming through the back of the headrest and then the top shot of the car and it's left up to your imagination because most of the rest of the gore in the movie is shown. 
You're right. That was an effective use without showing too much. Mm -hmm. Until you put it together in the next scene when she's in the hospital, you also have no clue that the daughter got it. Right. Especially because none of the polls seem to line up right. Yeah, you don't know quite who got it. You know for sure who one of the people are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Because then that was the second surprise, because I forgot the daughter died, too. Likewise. My memory of the end of this movie was jumbled together in a way that I remembered it differently than it actually plays out. Instead of seeing the Vision daughter, I thought she met her daughter in the car after she got out. Gotcha. Yeah, man, I totally forgot about that whole sequence of what they're doing in the cave in the first place. And this opening sequence is like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. But anyway, yeah, she goes through a terrible tragedy, Jesus. wakes up in the hospital. This is a lot of exposition to but set it's, up it's how it set up fragile things. she is at the beginning of the movie. Exactly. And going into the trip and such. Right. Even that little sequence where she's waking up from her nightmare, you know, mm -hmm. you get to see Juno's reaction to her having the breakdown and turning. And we learn that she walked away from that moment. All of Juno earlier on in the movie makes more sense once you know later on. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. And it lets you know that there was some really interesting thought processes that went into this film to make these things connect mm -hmm. and land because they do. And it all makes sense. I like the chemistry of the entire girl group. They did a fantastic job. And this movie is, I don't know, it goes two thirds the way before the crawlers show up. Like right at the hour mark or right close to the hour mark before we get to see their interaction with a crawler. Yeah. I mean, two thirds of the movie is just about the girls and their own drama. Yeah. One of my notes in the middle of this movie is this works without the crawlers. And that's why this is such a good movie. It is one of those, once again, I know we brought this up a couple of weeks ago, where this is a, a natural fear. You know, this is not a fear that's just like the what ifs, almost like the superstitious fears. This is mm -hmm. a real world fear that you could go right into. Like, yeah, if you go into a cave, regardless of the fact that it might not be crawlers, but there's some other crawly shit around down there that you might not want to be fucking around with regardless. But, you know, just the dark, the idea of, of wandering around in the dark, too. It's a fear, you know? So that's why it makes this film effective by itself. It, it, it could have just been about a film of six women going into a cave, getting lost, and all the dangers they incur throughout. But you throw in some, you know, creatures down in that bitch, it magnifies it. And then if the creatures weren't done well, it could have ruined that first part. Yeah. The creatures are done well. I would say overall, this is probably Marshall's most critically acclaimed film. I tend to agree with that. And probably gets the best word of mouth. Yeah. I know that one of the more active horror groups that we're both a part of online has a bias towards a different one of his <laughs> movies. But that bias is very obvious by the group. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. That's 100%. But accurate. I would say in a more general horror fan sense. This I has, say, I think, a wider appeal, mm -hmm. a wider audience. And I can see why, too. Because he's coming off the back of doing Dog Soldiers, where it was mainly an all-guy cast. And this one is an almost all-female cast. Dude. Right. And he's in it for two minutes. Which is interesting, because like, in Dog Soldiers, you have one main female character mm -hmm. throughout. And in this one, you have one male, but he's not in it very long at all. So there's a really cool dynamic that he can do well with both and make it feel authentic, which he did with both ensembles. you know. And I think that's what makes this film appealing is because you connect with these characters and that was the whole point 
of the first two thirds of this film is character development, making you connect with these people and make them feel authentic. I caught this more the second time through when the girl group first gets together and they're up at the cabin still and they're partying and having a fun time and you're getting to know them all and all that shit. In the morning, there's a transition that sets up a transition later in the movie. And it's the screaming to Beth in the mirror. That's pretty cool. Later on, there's the Sarah scream that transitions over to the rest of the group that hear the crawler scream, which of course goes in with Sarah's descent. And yeah, no, I, I like a lot of those. We talk about it on occasion too. Once again, with these uh, like tie-ins, mm-hmm. you know, they're tying these really cool things together in the film, and it's effective and it makes sense because it's it was set up earlier. I really like that about this film too. It is clever way of doing this kind of stuff, man. So when they're first on their way to the cave, they come across the elk. Which, especially in retrospect, you know that the crawlers killed it. I'm curious why they didn't drag it down. Because we know that they're capable of oh, it since there's all those other are strong and fierce, man. Yeah. But we have elk around here. Now, those crawlers are strong and fierce, but what kind of chance do you actually put a, a crawler at taking down a full bull elk? Oh, dude, yeah. Especially blind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. They would have to literally swarm it. Which... Big swarm. Yeah, it's, it's going to take more than one or two. Yeah, it's going to take a big swarm. Because the elk's going to fuck up some crawlers, dude. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't go fucking around. <laughs> I'm not trying that. No, thank you. But I think it's a clever way of not making it too obvious. That's probably one of the first danger signs. Right. If you watch enough horror movies, the other danger sign should be the bit where I think it's... Becca starts listing off all the oh, yeah. things to worry about down in a cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She makes that pretty obvious. <laughs> Which is cool because that's another one of those things. Is like those are real things that can happen if you go fucking around in a cave and you let these anxieties and fears in. I'm curious how much they got right with the caving stuff. Oh, well, I do I know those, this. I know that the picks that they're using aren't right. Those are used for climbing frozen waterfalls. <laughs> I Those can see that. That makes more caving. sense. The thing that's used for caving is Becca does have a fucking power drill hanging off her belt. Nice. Hell yeah. Like, I know that that is legit, but I don't know about the other shit. Yeah, I don't, I don't fuck around with that stuff, man. I'm not a caver. I'm not a spelunker. It makes I, me curious, though. You're right. I was going to say, I do know that they trained before they did a lot of this stuff, and Here's something I thought was really cool about this film. I know I say this is about a lot of films, but in this particular film, instead of actually going to a cave and filming inside of a cave, which presents its own difficulties and dangers and what have you. It probably would have doubled the cost of this movie. Easily. And the insurance you'd probably have to put on everybody involved. That's not just the cast. That's including the crew and Mm -hmm. everybody involved. So what I thought was really cool was the fact that I think they had six major sets they used and of course they had like other parts where they could scale it down and Mm -hmm. film within these sets but they did it at what pinewood studios in london it's fucking impressive it is amazing man and the exteriors even though it says in the film it was shot in the appalachia mountains of north carolina (laughs) all right i'm from south carolina i've been up through the appalachians in north carolina i was like no it immediately doesn't look anything like north carolina i'm sorry i mean it was a nice try i was gonna ask you about that it doesn't i mean 
I, the whole time, the whole drive and stuff, mm-hmm. I was like, man, it's like, it's a nice try. Don't get me wrong. There are parts where it gets foggy and dense with trees and stuff, but it's not the same. You know, if you know, you know, mm-hmm. it's like anywhere. If you grew up somewhere, you know, but that doesn't distract from the fact that it's still effective because there are certain similarities like waterfalls and what have you. And, um, yeah, I was like, man, I can't think of any cave. I mean, there's caves, but man, I don't know. I don't know of anything like this, but I like how they set it up too, because it has a context. I think that some people could miss, even though it's, it's pretty obvious. And what I'm saying is there's cave drawings down there that suggest that this has a prehistoric tie in, you know? I think Marshall has, uh, Neil Marshall, that is, has clarified that the crawlers are supposed to be evolved cavemen. That makes total sense because of the stuff that we see. Okay. Who has the better use of trogs? (laughs) This or Bone Tomahawk? Oh, man. Mm. I would argue maybe there's two stages of evolutionary process Mm. involved with these characters, you know? Uh, Yeah. Okay. That, um, that makes sense, given... I'm going to say, closer to, the, closer to the ground, the trogs, and then the further you go in, these crawlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're fierce. <laughs> You're fucked either way. I think that's what the trogs needed, though. We talked about it on our Bone Tomahawk episode. There's no reason for them to be troglodytes in that movie. Yeah, no, no. They could have just been a fucked up band of bandits that were hanging out in a cave. Yeah. These crawl the fuck around. That's oh, yeah. Scary shit. They couldn't do what they're doing without being fucking cave creatures man and it makes total sense that's what i'm getting at that's why this film is effective because everything they're setting up you know can back the actions and the things that are happening it's hard to argue with i mean you can debate certain ideas and concepts or what have you but it's effective in the film man while they're still in that first little area in the cave i do have to say the weakest scare in the movie is that fucking fake ass bat scare Oh, the man, bat yeah. jump scare. <laughs> One bat, two bats. That was funny. But yeah. I didn't the, even the think the jump they scare know. itself was a, a shit jump scare. The bat effect is maybe the worst effect in the entire movie. Yeah. But, you know, they got it out of the way early. Yes. Which is good. Get the bad shit out of the way early. I had to bring it up because, yeah. like, I mean, that's a, for maybe... a movie that we're sucking the dick of so hard. Mm, I can say this. Fuck your bat jump scare. I. I... 100% agree. It's it's almost up there with the cat scare at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think it's effective in this case because it's like a lull. Like, mm. oh, you're just trying to get me with cheap jump scares. It's like, oh, you just wait. <laughs> we got bigger, badder things coming at you than bats. We already kind of indirectly brought up mm. the tunnel squeeze. Good on them for being able to get through it. Because that's genuinely yeah, like... That's like worst case scenario. Oh, damn. Fuck. Maybe not quite worst case. Worst case is just getting stuck. If it collapses in on me, I'm oh. dying a lot quicker. I have to close my eyes. Yep. <laughs> Let it happen. Still, don't want to die like that. No. No, thank you. But the knowledge that you gain on the other side of that, I have to give a big fuck you to Juno. That's fucked up. Okay, say crawlers never happened. This group makes it through to the other side. They all get out alive. Maybe they're injured or whatever, but they all get out alive. You're one of them. Do you ever fucking speak to Juno again after that shit? All right. Not unless I was super chill with them before. And I'm like, all right, it's going to take a while for me to like hook up with you at any time in the future. But man, that was so fucked up. Put everybody in danger. That's what I'm saying. This film would be effective without the creatures Mm -hmm. because all the stuff that's involved, that's what I'm getting at. 
but throwing these creatures and a whole oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm getting at. It's super effective regardless of which direction they could have gone with it. Right. Man, and that's that's clever, man. That's Nero Marshall did something great with this film. Because it is. It's it's one of those old fear of the dark, creatures in the dark, going uh, back to early man too. You know? All right, so I had to look this up because I realized I missed it. And even looking for it, I still missed it even the second time through. Do you know when the very first time you can see a crawler is? I read like in the first drop with Sarah. Is it with Sarah's character that you're supposed to be able to see one? There's actually one before that. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just barely before that. But the first time that Juno lights up a flare and throws it in the middle of the cave, mm-hmm. there was actually a continuity error. And there was a crew member. Oh, yeah. I didn't that hear about that. you see for yeah. a split second. <laughs> but when they caught him in digital, instead of removing him, they just fucking whitened up his face to make him look like a crawler. That's awesome. Fuck yeah. And then that same scene is where you also see the first legitimate crawler, which, once again, blink and you'll fucking miss it on the left side of the screen as Sarah's looking around with her fucking head. I did see that. like in the corner. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I had seen it, like, pretty obviously. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, I can see that, like, the blink and you miss it. Because I wasn't really looking for it in certain scenes, but that's cool. There is a funny joke. I don't know if you wrote down. I do want to bring it up. And it is during a scene where they have to squeeze through one of the tight areas and Sarah's going through and she's panicking and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And Beth comes back to help her out. Do you remember the joke she asks or tells her? How do you make a lemon orgasm? Tickled citrus? (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny. I was like, that's, I like that. That's the only thing I can think of that would be sexual content in the Amazon warning. It's like, really? (laughs) That joke? (laughs) I'm like, all right. If that is the case, all right, I'll give you that. But that's so mild. Okay. Did you catch the Deliverance reference? I mean, there's one obvious one, and that's with Juno's character and her outfit. That's the one I was <laughs> going to point out. Juno's but, character outfit was what I was going to point out, because I think that would blow by a lot of people. Oh, yeah. But I was going to say the first scene, the white water rafting, is a setup from Deliverance. It's kind of in the woods in Appalachia. We have the whitewater rafting. Then later in the car, there's the banjo music playing. See what I mean? And then it goes into Juno's outfit. Right. I mean, Deliverance was an inspiration in some sort for this film. There's like references to, you can say, The Shining in this film. Yep. I'd even argue a little bit that there might be some Predator influence in this film. There's the thing I know is referenced from Neil Marshall as an influence. But it's done well, you know? It's not a blatant yeah. ripoff. There's, of course, his own shout out to dog soldiers. Yeah, I read about that and saw that too. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. It's clever. The wolf head. Yeah. That and there's a callback to uh, Oswald. Yeah, Oswald. I was going to point that out too. And we're jumping all over the place now. Sorry, well, I just got high, off. But... Yeah. Becca's fucking badass climb across the fucking ceiling, dude. That Holding yourself up for just that amount of time is hard. Oh, shit. She was beasting it. Yeah, that was fucking beast mode. That impressed me. You know what? I think Neil Marshall really likes to have competent protagonists. Oh, 100%. Because I would put these gals up against dog soldiers. And that's what I'm saying. This cast is very competent. It was well cast. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, 
it's a little side trivia, no, but most, if not all, these women are from different countries, different parts of the world as well. So that's even interesting and unique within itself. For the most part, almost every single one of them gets to be a badass in some way. Like, none of them are fucking useless for the most part. One gets off too quickly to get any badass moments. Right. We just know that she's very adventurous, and she tries to prove it, Mm -hmm. and it's her downfall. And because of the situation they're in, it only takes being stupid one time to die, but otherwise these aren't stupid characters. No, they're very capable, and within horror sometimes that breaks you know stereotypes and kind of the archetypes of certain characters just last week we were talking about how fucking dumb oh, fucking dude. dude is Aaron creep. Aaron yeah yeah dumbest fucking character none of them are dumb no. they all make arguably at least one dumb choice i would agree but that doesn't make their character overall dumb like Aaron no no no, no 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 it's just it's a human error it's just a mm-hmm. it could be you know, a coincidental thing, what have you. I enjoy that quite a bit. I, much like Neil Marshall, obviously likes writing them, enjoy watching competent protagonists. And I think that's another thing that pulls me into this movie so much. And I think that's what makes that first, and I say first, it's an hour of the film, two thirds of the film, enjoyable. You get connected to these characters because they are believable and they're capable and you know, they're just in a fucked up situation they would never have thought they would be in. You know, who would? You're not right. expecting this shit. How can you? I'd kind of alluded to it already, though, but God damn it, Holly. Speaking of the one time characters have to be dumb, though, like I wanted to see what Holly could be made of. Not have her fucking run forward like an idiot, fall down a hole, break her leg, then get her neck bit. Dude, uh, I saw a little interesting uh, like making of. Mm hmm. And they showed how they made the prosthetic for her leg, you know, with the broken bone and stuff. It was kind of neat, you know. It's just a wraparound, like, slip it right onto her Mm -hmm. and then insert the quote-unquote bone. But to make it look effective, because they said they ran, you know, blood tubes in both ways, so it gives you the natural effect. It's like, it was effective because I'm like, of the one thing you could do and fuck up, you're going to break your leg down in the cave. You know how difficult that is to get around in the first place. Right, even with, you know, a And you guys already know you're fucked by this point. Like, you know that you're having to try to get out before your oh, fucking man. light batteries give out. There is one scene I have a little bit of difficulty in, in believing because of what we just talked about. Okay. So there's a scene where after they mend Holly's wound, you yeah, know, yeah. is they have to climb up. Right. I was wondering how the fuck they did that, too. Right. They never show you. They show you her getting up there, but they don't show. And I was like, okay, your focus isn't really supposed to be that, you know, but if you're thinking about it in logical terms, <laughs> you're going to have to tell me how she did that or how they got her up there because I ain't buying it. No, nah, I She's ain't not, buying it. There's no way she has that much upper body strength. Not Holly. Becca showed that she does. Right, that's about the only one I can believe in. Maybe we Juno. We know Juno doesn't. No, Juno oh, fell. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, she slipped and shit because she was. You're right. So, no, just Becca. Yeah, Beth's too scared of heights because she has problems crossing the chasm. Oh, we already know that Sarah was a mess. <laughs> Sarah's a mess. At I, least in this stage of the film. And Sarah is, I don't think she's physically capable of hauling holly up there not that she's oh, not no. in shape but she's not in shape like the others 
She's been enjoying married life and shit. She isn't still out there doing this, or she hasn't been enjoying married life. She's been recovering in hospital, but you know, you you know what I'm getting at, like right, right. The others are still kind of out in it. She's still fit, so she can do this stuff, but she ain't getting somebody up a fucking waterfall. Oh no, 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 dude. I don't know. I'm not buying that. So that was really the only. If I'm gonna nitpick, that was really the only nitpicky thing I could think about that really stood Mm -hmm. out to me in this film. But like I said, that's just that's so minor. Because it does lead to a, possibly a bigger reward for horror fans. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's a fucking gnarly-ass kill. Oh, shit. Before the kill, though, we get maybe one of the more memorable reveals slash jump scares it's good. of modern memory. It's effective, too. Because the fucking crawler in the night vision on the camera... Did they use that? I meant to look it up before we did this. Do you remember if they used that as a trailer shot? Did we know that was coming and it's still effective? That's a good question. I, I almost want to say probably, but I can't remember. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, so I can't say definitively, but I almost want to say, yeah, I'm leaning towards probably. Because it's fucking effective. It, yeah, in this film. It's yeah. almost more effective that it doesn't immediately attack. Yeah, dude. It's still just there, just creeping. So <laughs> that was cool. They're athletic as fuck, which you don't know to expect at first, oh, the but they're flying all over the place and like doing gymnastics around the fucking girls when they're attacking them. That's kind of neat. I'm surprised at how much I like the action in this movie because I'm kind of picky with the way action is shot sometimes. And this uses a lot of cuts, which I usually don't like, but I don't know what this combination of director and director of photography did to make me not mind it as much, but I felt like I was able to follow the action still pretty well, which is why, even though they were cutting every half second, I was still being like, oh shit, that was cool, oh shit, that was cool, oh shit, that was cool, and it all made sense. (laughs) You know, that's a good point, too. I think maybe with like having some people on previous films with them and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, they probably have worked in conjunction with some of these people before. And so they know they can get away with certain things. Like you said, with um, proper stunt coordination and what have you make the cuts look good. All right. So Holly gets killed. Ooh. Yeah. You have the fight over the body. Juno takes out a couple fucking crawlers. Man. And then Beth. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. It's not something we haven't seen before, but it's still effective. We're calling this one Beth's fault, right? 100%. 100%. I'm sorry, friends. It's a fucked up but understandable reaction right. that Juno has. Right, right, right. I'm not saying she deserves to die, but in this circumstance, it's hard to like be 100% mad at Juno because of what happened. Under those circumstances, you just fended off some whatever the fuck they were in your head at that time. They were just, <laughs> I got to get rid of them. They're attacking you can't be sneaking up on me at that point, dude. There's enough light in that area that Beth saw that happen as she was coming up on it's her. like, you need to let her chill out for a second let her turn around. You at least need to let her know that you're there. Yes. You need to say something. Say her name. <laughs> I'll say just touch name, her. Say your name. Say my name. <laughs> that one's on Beth. Yeah, I'm sorry, Beth. That was on you. And I'll... as fucked up as Juno's reaction to it is, it's understandable. Right. And that's not saying that I'm not blaming her for what happened, but in these circumstances, it's like, yeah, that was kind of a fucked up thing that Juno did. Don't get me wrong, but you can kind of a little bit understand where she's coming from, too. Like, I just killed these things. 
I just killed, you know. My friend. Yeah, arguably, yeah, one of my best friends, my friend, whatever, yeah. We're still stuck down here what the in fuck? an even more life and death situation than I thought it was. Yeah, I'm just going to step back into the shadows for a minute. Yeah, I mean. I would like to think I wouldn't handle it exactly like Juno, but I also can't imagine going back to my friends and telling them that I just accidentally killed Bath. Uh, yeah, guess what just happened to me? I mean, not just me, but guess what happened specifically to Beth? Right. Yeah, how do you explain that, man? It's hard to do something like that. Oof. It's just fucked regardless. It's just a fucked up situation, you know? But there is something that came out of it, which paid dividends a little bit later on in the film. Is right before she leaves, that Juno, that is, is Beth rips mm-hmm. her necklace off her neck and holds on to that because it comes back later on in the film. So there's things like that. There's lines that are said or there's actions that happen early on that set up something later on. Which So that's kudos for the writing. So did Beth already know that the necklace was from Paul because of, like, this is a friend group. Like you said, they're, oh. they've probably been texting or whatever, you know, while shit's going on. Did she already know because she confided in her? Or while she was laying there with nothing else to do between getting fucking neck shanked and Sarah finding her, did she put it together by looking at it and reading the inscription and figuring it out from when uh, Sarah said the quote earlier on? I think you can make a strong argument for that, right? Like, it was a coincidence that, you know, maybe she was just trying to grab it as like a token. Like, you know, if someone finds me, they can see that I had Juno's necklace. Mm-hmm. And that she was involved with my death somehow. But coincidentally, there was also that etching on it. That is a saying that Sarah said because that's what her husband says. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would she be wearing? Uh-oh. I already know they're having an affair. This kind of solidifies it. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm also wondering if the affair was always part of the script or if uh, it was worked in. Oh, you know, actually, I, I think you're right. I think it was written in. Because I feel like there's parts early in the movie before she officially knows where Sarah's kind of acting like she already knows something towards Juno. And I feel like it doesn't make sense in character because she doesn't know yet. Right. right. But it would kind of make sense if she just found out that that's the way it's going to go an hour before they filmed that when she was reading the new updates to the script. Yeah. And I'm not saying she's a bad actress, but sometimes when you find out information, you can't help but let it bleed through a little bit, especially when you're thinking about these characters interacting. No, you're right. You're right. There has to be certain information either known beforehand or yeah i mean it, it's going to change because you might be preparing for it some way else and you have and to that change might throw it. you off yeah because you've been however you were preparing right and... who's to say but I, I think it probably leans more towards that especially if there's rewrites and edits and what have you but I, and I, I don't want to make it sound like she doesn't know how to do oh, her no, job no, no, but no, it's no, just no, but... especially the second time through i was like why is she acting like this when she doesn't know yet and i was just trying to think of possibilities of right. what could have made that happen what i think Two is, you know, Beth, I think, already knows at that point early on because of what she says to Juno. I know we're jumping all over, but she does tell Juno, she's like, we're going to hang back, you know, and take care of this. And then mm. Sarah leaves with her husband and what have you. Because her husband's like, well, what are you doing taking care of Juno? Come on. You know, fucking Beth sees that. Sarah can't help but notice that. Mm-hmm. You know. But anyway, some of it was, they did make mention of this, some of the cast and even Neil Marshall's. They did allow for some ad-libbing. Mm. You know, to give their character maybe a little bit more depth. 
believability factor, et cetera, you know. So I think that was another good way of not just making these characters stilted or, or one-sided because of a, a certain perspective, you know. It's a male writing these characters with females, you know, ladies acting in these roles. Well, I guess, and as you were talking, I guess it sort of hit me that, like, I'm saying that she's acting weird towards Juno because she doesn't know yet at this point. Mm -hmm. But these characters are being written realistically enough that she might not know, but she might have suspicions because of that fucking scene down at the fucking river. Yeah. And I guess I just, most of the time characters are written like either they know or they don't, Mm -hmm. or we have a very obvious scene that shows us that they're questioning and it's not written in so naturalistically but that makes just as much sense in the way this movie plays out yeah man and what with the information that we're actually being shown on screen there's no reason why she also wouldn't be suspicious and maybe that's why she's being shitty to juno especially compounded with the fact that she already knows that juno didn't stick around long after the accident yeah sums up man Mm mm-hmm which she does point out at one, or Juno actually points out and like Sarah's almost looks pissed that she even brought it up. Cause she's like, I was trying not to think about that. Cause I wanted to be able to hang out with you. I know. I was like, Oh man, you had to rub it in, didn't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So little things like that. And that's another reason for us getting to do this. What we get to do is we get to see those little things. The more we get to watch it, you know, and, and it does. It makes it more enjoyable, I think, because of, of what each one of these women bring to their character. You know, and may, like I said, making things connect, making things believable, and they're super capable. But also, they make mistakes, like you were saying earlier. So being cave creatures, I understand crawlers not having any eyesight. I'm not quite sure I believe that one didn't smell the gals. Yeah, that close up to you. I don't quite believe it didn't feel the fucking air coming out of their nostrils with how close up it was. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Yeah, man, come on. So it's a neat, like, on the edge of your seat type scene, but, but that when you stop close. to think about it for a second, it's fucking close. That's why I think when I watch this film, it makes me think of other films slightly, like in that moment, just the screams. You could say it's, it reminds me of this or that. It did remind me a little bit of Predator down there with the skulls and mm. the screams and shit like that. But that one is like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know about that one. It works in the moment, but thinking about it later. All right. Here's where I might defend it a little bit is where it was set up earlier in the film. And it was with Sam, Miana Burring's mm-hmm. character with the watch. You know, yeah, she's yeah. fucking with it earlier on in the film. And because that creature gets so close to her and her sister when they're in that little crevice and then it scoots by them and then her fucking alarm goes off on it. Mm -hmm. And that's what brings it back. Because it it would be obvious that it should have seen, I mean, not seen, but smelled or detected both of them being that damn close. Right. (laughs) Like, come on, man. So I think that maybe that was their way of like, okay, that wasn't the way we're going to get them or come back to them. It was because of that damn watch. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought it was like, it's silly, but... It was still effective. Also, I agree with Holly. I'd throw that damn watch away before we got down there. See, that was one of those things. It was brought up earlier. It was just kind of like, okay, what's the deal with the watch? Oh, it's just a funny little line. But here it is later on in the film. Fucking the save from Juno was badass as shit. Yes, it was. It was good. Juno flip-flops in this movie because she is a fucking badass and she's capable of shit. 
like I said, if these gals had gotten out of there alive, I don't blame a single one of them for not talking to her anymore. All right. That being said, she doesn't deserve what she gets in the end. Oh, no, man. It's like... It, and she's a big reason why they get that far to begin with. Oh, man. It's, it's so fucked up. Her intentions, you know, there's all kinds of things you can say, right? Her intentions and what the consequences are, you know. Hell's paved with good intentions and mm-hmm. all that stuff. You know, that's what we're getting at. You know, she had good intentions. She's like, yeah, maybe selfishly she probably wanted it named after her. But she at least wanted her friends to be a part of it. Right. You know, that was the good intention part, regardless of who it was named after. The problem with it was it put them all in danger. You know, it cost, in the end, almost all of them their lives. <laughs> you know? But yeah, was her punishment, I don't know, man. That's harsh. Especially that close at the end. Yeah. So, to get there, to tie all that together, Sarah's ordeal as she gets split off. Wow. Fucking having to watch Holly get eight. That was fucked. That was really effective, too. Because she gets the camera and she sees Mm -hmm. it and she's like, I gotta be quiet while all this is happening in front of me. (laughs) That's pretty gruesome. Having to mercy kill Beth. Beth, I know, that's fucked. After finding out... Yeah, that... 100% 100% her husband, Paul, was having an affair with, with Juno. Know. Here's the proof. What more do you need? Don't trust her. She did this to me. And then immediately getting attacked. I know. And the fucked up thing about it was, is the first thing that she actually had to kill that wasn't her friend was a child. Yeah. And then its mother. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, I think, not only a way of saying, hey, Here's how we explain how these creatures survive. It's not just all male crawlers. Mm-hmm. There's also a queen, so to speak. But that's fucked. That was symbolic. It was a metaphor for something probably larger than that. They're humanoids. They're living in family units. With the way we see them act in this, though, I'm still thinking we're going to call this animals and crawlers are just going to crawl or nothing they're doing is malicious. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Crawlers going to crawl or you're in their territory. <laughs> That means your food. Sorry. I know, man. Neil had mentioned that, too. It's like, you could argue that these women were infringing on these crawlers, their territory, and they're just defending their home. There's no way for them to communicate. Yes, the crawlers attacked first, but then one of them kills a kid. What do you do then? All bets are off then. Right. I mean, almost every species is natural inclination is to mourn and then probably also look for revenge you know all these events happen in a row we already know that sarah's unstable she's already been having like little nightmare sequences which by the way those are all kind of jump scare based too but i love them because dream logic i don't care about jump scares and dream logic that just makes sense because that's nightmares did you read anything that he was influenced by fulci and argento no shit Yeah, and it makes sense with a couple of shots. I'm going to mention that a little bit later on, too. So I was making fun of Amazon saying that this movie has sexual content. Oh, you know what I bet the sexual content is? Chick Crawler's tits. Uh, Yeah, maybe, but... That's the only thing I can think of since we're talking about that scene anyway. No, but that's like like me being nitpicky about Holly going up. (laughs) That's nitpicky. But yeah, okay. but I will give them kudos for labeling it as an art house flick. Mm. 
I do like that too. It does have some artsy shots. It does. Let's be honest. The descent doesn't refer to them going into the cave. It refers to Sarah's mindset. Thank you. Yeah, and you could argue for some of these others, but her specifically. Yeah. And that's all what breaks her. I would say especially killing the kid. I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think the pool of blood is literal? Oh, I doubt it. <laughs> I thought it was like, that's first and foremost, probably a biblical reference to like a baptism of sorts, a rebirth mm-hmm. of sorts. You know, that's what I got out of it. It was like, she's coming out a whole different person now. She's no longer what we saw leading up to that point. What comes out of this is a completely different person. Right. That's what I gathered. Yeah. I think However, it's more symbolic. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I thought too. I'm like, she's already unstable. And now, although this movie jumps around, we're stuck with her as being the current narrator. She's unreliable. There's no way a pool of blood is fucking existing in this cave. I like that it was in the movie. It, it was, was fucking, fucking awesome. <laughs> it feels very Neil Marshall to me. He it doesn't does. mind going grimy, grimy and crazy. I like it. Doomsday is the Good. best example of him not caring if he goes crazy, I think. But hell yeah. I mean, even just like the concept behind dog soldiers, though, like like we said, wow. army versus werewolves. That's a crazy, almost like grindhousey type concept. So like him throwing a pool of fucking blood in the middle of a movie makes all of the sense in the world. I love it, man. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is because it has an all-female protagonist cast, right? You can't help but say that a lot of this stuff is more metaphorical. It symbolizes something else than what's really happening on screen. And... um, you know, how much you read into it's one thing, but I think there's clever uses of it. I think this is one of them, you know, mm-hmm. motherhood and tragedy and the descent into madness. Yeah, there's some weird things that happens because of a result of some of the endings. I know you and I both know about and I'm jumping around, of course, but it does have consequences, I think, to how you read into this film, too. And um, I don't know. I tend to like it more towards the UK version of what this film means. More so than what we get with the United States ending. Um, that makes sense. We're almost at the end of the movie yeah. anyway. Let's talk about that in a second. Because Sarah's... We we left Juno in a spot when we were talking about her. Sarah's just about to meet back up with her. So do you think... With where Sarah's mindset was by that point... Do you think it makes any difference... Whether Juno would have told the truth or not? Because we know that oh, she yeah. lies about it. But if she would have told the truth right there, do you think that would have been enough to snap Sarah back? Or was she already too far gone? No, I think she would have been a little bit more inclined to help her out and see what happens after they get out. But because I, she lied to her, I was feeling. Yeah. because she lied to her, that's She's just like, the cave. That's, it just made even more sense with Beth told her and what she presented. Right. First, she says, don't trust her and be here's a necklace. Right. She did this to me. And then she tells her straight up that was, I mean, yeah, it was kind of an indirect way of asking, but it gave her enough to like, yeah, you know, you signed your sentence down here. Was it fair? Probably not. But at this point, all my friends have died. Mm -hmm. You're the last one. And you had an affair with my husband. That was the reason why this shit happened in the first place. However, before the betrayal happens, they have the awesome fight against the fucking crawlers. That was really good. Even like the lead into it. Oh, you know yeah. what? I fucking skipped over though. And I don't want to skip over because it was also badass. Fucking Sam's death. 
I was going to say, I know we jumped it, but that's where I was kind of want to get back into as well. Sam's death. Before we talk about that doubles fight. Yeah. First off, I think she was going to make the climb like Becca did. Yeah. That was one thing I remembered from my first watch in the theater. It's because I was like, man, they're all so close. This film is kind of getting close to the nitty gritty. And she even says a line earlier where she tells her sister, she's like, you make it look easy. And she's like, well, you make it look hard. (laughs) (laughs) You know, man, I'll tell you right now, there's no way I'd be able to do that shit. No, no. But did she remind you of Spoon? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I think there's a little correlation between some of these characters and where she still manages to lash out even when she's going down. Yeah, gets her good. fucking throat torn out, and before she bleeds out, I'm gonna take you fucker with me with a knife. And even though she wasn't 100 successful, I'm giving that one to her. That yeah. was fucking good. That was good. That was gruesome. It was good. You know what's unfortunate in that particular scene too was if she just jumped down, right? But she didn't know that. No, 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 no. The stupid thing would have been to jump down. But in she this case, did the smart thing. It's just. Right, it just unfortunately... The shitty thing is then Becca gets it. Yeah, Becca gets fucked up. Becca gets it the worst of all of them. Yeah, she gets it alive. Yeah. And that's gruesome. We don't get to see much of it, but we know. I know me and you both look, especially at the gory details. A little bit of gore hounds here. Mm -hmm. It was 90% fucking fake blood just on her stomach. You saw that, Oh, yeah, yeah, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's, she was just clawing at her fucking six pack. Yeah. While there's fake blood on it. Just gonna get you dabbled in. There. Maybe ten percent, a little bit of extra entrails just sprinkled in, but not <laughs> yeah. much. No, not that's, much. Saying, that's probably why they didn't, you know, lean on that one. Yeah. No, 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 no. Well, because the other ones look good. Real. By, I mean, by this point, we've seen one or two get fucking axes through the head. Dude, yeah. We've seen them get their necks snapped. The bone through the fucking head. Dude, that's gnarly, yeah. A literal pool of blood. At this point, yeah. It sounded like the kid crawler got stomped. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah, that's gnarly. So, you can have a lazy effect. That's fine. That's That's fine. fine. You know, they hit it well. You some really good ones with violence mixed in, which I think is harder to do. I agree, man. Doing just violence is easy. Right. Doing the aftershots of gore. Easy, if you do it right, yeah. Both together. And make it, look, it look good. Really good, yeah. That's harder. They pulled it off, yeah, once again. Sam, Becca. Oh, yeah. Anyway, then there's the fight. Dude, that fight was yeah gnarly. Juno falls in, right? And then when she's crawling around, that's where Sarah pulls her in, asks her the question. They walk into that next... It almost looks like that's like the exit. There's those three crawlers hanging out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, man, that was a good fight scene. That was really gnarly. Fucking Eye gouging, head smashing. Just repeated knees wow. to the crawler nuts. Yeah. Did you notice? Fuck it. There's a point. Sarah takes a bite out of one. Yeah. She spits that shit out. But she doesn't spit it out. Till the fight's over. Yeah, till later. Like, she just holds in that chunk. Like some, like some, like some, I don't know, some, like some dip. <laughs> like some jerky. That was some fucking real <laughs> shit right there. Yeah, that was very, well, 
it is implied, and you can even read into it, like where she's getting very primal. Like she's returning. more crawler than not at this point is the implication at this point in the movie. I think I think you're right with that. It's I don't want to say it's pretty obvious at this point, but yeah, that's when Juno met up with Becca and Sam, and it was just a second after Sarah had killed, I think the kid crawler and then she lets out a scream that's the scream that cuts between oh, yeah, her yeah, scream yeah. to a crawler scream yeah you're right you're right and um, that that's the that's the breaking point like i think that's a good solid point man because there's another screamer i mean they they do it multiple times with certain screens and how it transitions into certain things mm-hmm. but i think that's <laughs> man that's another one of those symbolic things yeah well, whenever she's around Juno, now she's like super upright and like really assertive and stuff. But when you see her just crawling around the caves, especially before she meets up with Juno, she's moving a lot more like a crawler, too. Yeah. Like I said, there's a transition in her character, her demeanor. The fight happens. The Juno betrayal happens. She's left for dead. We can discuss that in a minute because did you, you read about Descent 2, right? Yeah, actually a little bit, but I didn't read too much. I almost we might have to watch, watch it. it at some point. I was like, I, I kind of do want to watch it. But I do want to bring it a, a little bit of it up because okay. it ties into the differences in the endings and such. Yeah, 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 we definitely need to discuss that. When she gets out and she gets in the rig, did you notice anything about the rig? The rig itself? The rig itself is a Bronco too. Right. Well, I did read one thing. It's mm-hmm. probably not what you're going to say, but I read that, I want to say it was a DP wanted to buy the car but neil marshall didn't know that and he was like told the stunt drivers to beat it up oh shit (laughs) yeah but i'm pretty sure that's not what you're alluding to but i don't know i didn't really catch anything significant that stood out to me it was holly's rig because she was the one that was living in the states and so like she gets in and it's american setup like she's driving on the left side and stuff plates montana plates oh for real yeah I saw the North Carolina when they first drove in. I didn't know it was Montana on the way out, really. Yep. I didn't see that. That's pretty cool. The back half of the plates didn't seem like they meant anything, although I should have wrote them down because maybe they mean something in conjunction with the first part because the first part doesn't make sense for Montana. (laughs) If you live in Montana, you know that the first number on our plates corresponds to the the county. Yeah. And in some cases, like, you might have a letter with it, but the letter's usually after, and it would be, like, a T to denote a truck. Right. Exactly. That's that makes sense. Yeah. The number in this case starts with K7. Huh. Interesting. I tried to find, see if that was something I just didn't know about, and I actually did, like, some research and shit. But the only thing that I can find is that there is a K7 MSPF fee related to like registration and licensing in montana but that's just a fee for the montana state council of professional firefighters <laughs> huh. that's interesting that's the only thing i can find that would make k7 make wow. sense however if the seven does refer to the county that would be flathead oh that's pretty neat yeah i just took note of what we mentioned earlier is you know this is supposed to take place in north carolina and we're like oh, i don't know about that but I did see the plate when they drove in before they dropped mm-hmm. into the cavern and all that stuff. Yeah. I saw a North Carolina plate. So I go, okay, you're trying. I get you. I got you. <laughs> Another jump scare. A neat one because of uh, what just went on. 
and with her deterioration in mental state. And she pulls over, looks over, and flash of Juno ghost. Right. And then, if it's the U.S. cut, it stops right there. Okay, well, let's pause right there just for a second. I want to back up just a few mm-hmm. 20 seconds. When Sarah comes up out of the ground, we need to mention oh. that. <laughs> we need to mention that. That's true. Oh, you come on, man. At this point, it's like, okay, that's good. It's still another nod to another film. Good nod. Right? Even though, I mean, there's there's a little bit of it. You could say there's a little bit of Texas Chainsaw in this movie, a mm-hmm. little bit. But that's not the point. It's just it's a nod to the ending, 70s films specifically. Because there's some carry moments in this too, dude. I kind of noticed that with the blood and... I mean, honestly, I feel like Juno is named Juno as a really oblique nod to Hills Have Eyes with all of them being God names. Right. I can see that too. That would make sense. I know he's a John Carpenter fan. That's for sure. I can see him paying nods to you know Wes Craven and all these other guys too. Mm-hmm. Would make sense. I mean, I can't prove anything, but right, I, right, right. I, when but I was looking through like character names, I'm like, all right, so y'all are off in the wilderness getting chased by cannibals <laughs> yeah. that are most likely inbred. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, and you have a goddess name? Well, I knew a fucking Papa Jupiter. <laughs> Like, I'm saying Deliverance fits that, The Hills Have Eyes fit that, and it makes sense, but it's done in a completely different manner. Mm-hmm. Still effective. You can still do certain things, but it makes sense. Her coming up out of the ground, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, finding the car, which typically, you know, seems like a, a good thing, but in her case, she gets that, the ghost still haunting her in the U.S. cut. That's that. That's so that, that catches us up to the speed to that. So that's what we got in the United States. And I didn't remember that because it's been so long since I've watched it. And I was like, man, there's a few things specifically I forgot. Like, I forgot why they went into the cave in the first place. I forgot how the film ended. And I was like, okay. The cut, I, and I think you probably watched too, the UK yes. cut. I was like, oh yeah, this ends is completely different than that. Well, we should say the US cut led to a theory that I remember the first time I watched this movie, I kind of felt was kind of on the ball. And every time I've watched this movie since, seems less and less likely. Okay. And that's her break happened way earlier, and that she's the one killing all of her friends. That would make sense. And if that were the case in the U.S., you could say this is almost a slasher film. Yeah. And that the crawlers are actually her. Probably chasing her friends down and killing them. Then hide in I like mean, crawlers, perhaps. You can technically the the UK cut ending doesn't dissuade that notion, but I do feel like watching through this movie that it would require even more severe dissonance than high tension. Hmm. You know what I mean for that to be true. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. And we talked about high tension. Like, there's great swaths of that movie that can't be happening the way that we're being shown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we are being shown is still telling an emotional story that makes those parts make sense. Mm-hmm. This is jumping around between too many viewpoints to be telling one coherent emotional story yeah. to make those extra deaths make I, sense. I think you're right with that, too. It's like, ah. Uh, but I, I can see arguments for that. If this is all you saw was the United States cut, like, yeah, you can make arguments for that. Mm-hmm. UK cut. Oh, yeah. This is bleaker, even though it's only a minute longer. That's something I have a hard time believing. 
U.S. audiences. I'm like, are you guys really that sensitive? Seriously? It goes up to that. She still has the flash. All right? of this happens. Yeah, All of this happens. Point. And she sort of comes to her senses and realizes there's no exit. She never got out of the cave. But then she looks over and starts hallucinating her daughter, giving her the birthday cake again. Oh, did you read about this part? Mm. So in the hospital scene, she has a similar hallucination, but it's a nightmare, it appears, or whatever. But the birthday cake, birthday cake initially had five candles. Mm. But at this point in the film, there's six, and it was supposed to signify the six women. Oh, okay. So uh, that was the one thing I was like, oh, that's kind of clever. Because it's still, you know, lending its hand to her hallucinations, her breakdown, and what have you. And rather than snap out of it like all the times before, we snap out of it and see that she's just gone staring at her fucking torch as we back out. And we start hearing the crawlers coming up. Yep. You're right, because it pans out and you see like, oh man, she's way the fuck down there and she's lost it. And they're surrounding her, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Damn, that's fucked up. But I think... If you read into this, you know, like more of a, a metaphor, an allegory for, you know, like I said, somebody who's dealing with grief and tragedy and mental breakdown and the whole descent could be just happening in her head or what, who knows, you know, what exactly, but, or you can just read it for what it is, you know, like a Since, creature feature, I mean, it's still good. Like I said, I think the descent is supposed to be her descent, not the literal physical descent, which right. makes the UK ending... The one that makes most sense for the theme. And that was Neil Marshall's whole intent in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's interesting because this is a bit of a spoiler now, right? Because we're already here. This is pretty much the end. Is that because there is a sequel, for those who are curious going into the sequel, which one would you think it would pick up from? (laughs) With the theory that she's the killer... Does it actually pick up from that one, or is it a combination of both? That's another solid point, too. Because from what I understand, and you can fill in the blanks where I'm missing all this stuff, the only thing I really read about it was that it appears that she, you know, because the U.S. cut ends with her getting out, getting into the car, vomiting, and then seeing the ghost. I don't know how much further it picks up after that, but apparently... It's only so, like, I think it's only like two days. Oh, or wow. It, no, I, it might not even be that long. I so think it's, it's almost immediately after. It's almost immediately wow. after. Okay. But because she's been traumatized, she doesn't have any recollection of the past two days. Mm. And then, like, I think they take her down and they, like, test the blood that they find on her. And Juno's in the system. Oh, wow. And so they're like, where did this blood come from? And she's like, I don't know. And all Uh that goes. And so they go send out some cave divers or rescuers or whatever with her to go figure out what happened. Because it's obviously some sort of fucking crime site. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something happened. She's fucking covered in blood. She's traumatized. What the hell is going on? It's somebody else's blood, not even hers. Like, Yeah, what's going on here? It it draws red flags and mm -hmm. questions, yeah. And so when they go back, obviously crawlers and all that shit happens the interesting thing the part that's a mild spoiler for the second movie but i think is really adds an interesting element to the end of this movie juno survives 
Whoa. No shit. And has just been chilling down in the caves, getting good at killing crawlers. I think she does That's die by the end of the second one. But wow. But. Because you saw, our, you know, before you see all those fucking crawlers entering that. Coming at her. Yeah. And, and like, she wow. pulls the fucking axe out of her leg and she's ready to go at him. But come on, man. Right. I'm not buying that one. Like, as much as I want her to survive and kick their ass, I don't like those odds. <laughs> but yeah, that makes me kind of want to watch The Descent, too. Because here's the thing. The differences in these two movies' endings, there was one thing from my first time ever watching it when I rented it on DVD when it came out that I remembered was this was the first movie that I remember feeling elitist about alternate endings over. And I purposely never watched the second one, even though I liked this movie so much, because it took off from the her getting out ending. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, uh, I guess, you know, if you're going to pick it up, which one would be easier to pick up from <laughs> and make more sense of? Right. You know, and I get it. And it was I'm almost certain I'm not willing to put money on it, but I'm almost certain this had more of a studio influence the second one. Because of the success of this one, mm-hmm. the original. It's like, oh, yeah, we could probably make a second one with what we had. And we probably have a budget for it now. You know, bring some people back. We could easy pick up from this point. And you can't blame them. But I like the idea of the UK cut and kind of the questions it leaves you with afterwards. You know, it's like, yeah, it's pretty introspective. It's a, it's a unique take on, you know, a horror film, but that has some substance. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't just follow tropes and stereotypes and all that other shit because the first part of this movie takes so long setting up the characters did you have any favorites you know uh let's see that's a good question uh i don't know i mean it'd be hard not to say miana burning Mm. but i think her sister was capable i mean she even said like herself that when she was doing the character and she was reading about the character is that she wanted the character to be very knowledgeable and capable and very kind of detail-oriented and safety-oriented. That's why she does the things and says the things she does and stuff like that. And you can tell she's capable. She's cautious, maybe a little overtly sometime, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd say I have a favorite, per se. I, <laughs> I mean, I, it's I funny. <laughs> I, I I think I'd if I had to choose favorites, yeah. I don't know if I'd be able to nail it down to one, but oh, yeah. I really liked the sisters. They were good. They were good. I was like, they had a good chemistry, those two, Mm -hmm. and they were believable. Beth's character is good. She's funny. She's she seems to like hold things together somewhat for the group. There's nothing against Holly. She just seems like the young wild one, you know, the young gun. I wish we got a little bit more with Holly, but not that we didn't get two thirds of a movie with her. But she's the first to go, and we never get. She never gets a moment to be badass. She only gets a moment to be a dumbass. Yeah, unfortunately, it's like. Yeah, you know, she scaled all this stuff on Galway, you know? She's done all that stuff. She's in this cave. She's a go-getter. I guess she's wanting to prove herself to Juno and stuff like that, too. You know, young gun, whatever. There's nothing to not like about Juno, you know, as a capable character. She's a leader. She's badass. You know, she's fit. They're all fit. Don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. But she has these qualities as, like, you know, if you were in a situation, like, you know what? She'd be good to have on your side. Yeah. (laughs) She proves it. Even though she's gets you in fucked up shit, she can help you out too, you know. And apparently, she can just like hang out in a cave for like a week and become even better at killing fucking. That's what crawlers. I'm saying. If I'm gonna have a, a sidekick, she's not a bad one to have. 
I don't know if I have anything else to say about the descent this time around, though. I do. There's a what do you just got? a few things, not very many. But maybe I did, I'll think of at least one while you're bringing this up. I did too. mention there's two guys we didn't mention in the cast. Oh shit! That's right. That's right. Yeah. So one of the guys is Craig Conway, and I bring him up because he's one of the crawlers in the film. Why is that significant? Well, Neil Marshall didn't want stuntmen or people who didn't have an acting background to play these crawlers because he wanted the crawlers to have their own character, mm. you know, and be believable and do certain things that weren't, you know, like mechanical. They wanted to feel very natural. So that's why they got these actors to do it. But uh, he's been in a few of Neil Marshall's films. He's actually been in a film we reviewed. He was in Dog Soldiers, and he played the camper, and the camper was the guy that was in the tent who witnessed... If you haven't seen Dog Soldiers, this is a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) But he's the guy who watches his girlfriend get mauled in the tent. right. That that couple in the beginning, right? He was also in Doomsday as Saul. He's one of the guys that Neil Marshall likes to use in all of his films. So he plays one of the crawlers in that. He's actually the crawler who does the first jump scare, the one that sneaks up during that like night vision camera shot. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Here's something cool. It's a tie-in to that, is that... Neil Marshall intentionally didn't let the actresses see anybody who played a crawler in makeup prior to their first encounter on and in film for this movie and on set. So they never saw any of the people who play the crawlers up until that moment in the film. And so it was a genuine scare. He said, you know, these women have been training for weeks, uh, climbing and caving and doing all this, you know, badass stuff. He said, but as soon as... We put, uh, this was Craig Conway. He's like, as soon as we put him up behind those girls, they just ran off, <laughs> started screaming. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because that's probably what the fuck I would do too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the other person I wanted to mention is another guy that Neil Marshall likes to use in all his films, a guy named Leslie Simpson. Another guy we talked about before because he plays Private Terry Milburn in mm-hmm. Dog Soldiers. And I was like, well, which one was he? He gets well, killed twice. Uh, yeah, it's fucked up. He's the one who gets drugged into the barn, and then when they go to try to retrieve the Jeep out of the barn, his head gets decapitated and thrown onto oh, the windshield. Right, right. Okay. That's Terry Milburn. I was like, that was kind of fucked up. But he was a carpenter in Doomsday. Yeah, so I was like, that's pretty cool, man. Even watching some of those like making up videos, Craig Conway talked about how he liked doing this because, you know, he's like, I can be something that is scary. And people would never know it was me and had fun with it. Uh, That's something else I took away from this is that everybody involved, apparently with Neil Marshall films, really enjoy working with him. The set designs were fucking amazing. Super believable. The sets look fantastic. Man, super believable, which got to give him credit. And to even make those moments where they are up close and crawling and stuff, just to know that they were, you know, sets and props and all that stuff but still make it feel claustrophobic and like give you a little bit of anxiety there's times in this film where i'm like man i wish i could see it now in in theater Mm -hmm. because you know you see it in in different stages of your life you don't have the same knowledge or same things equipped and i was like this could give people genuine anxiety and in like panic attacks because (laughs) that's a rational fear to have so it does a good job. I know people like the score. This score does a really good job of, you know, kind of leading into certain moments and also to give you emotional, I don't know, cues. And it makes certain scenes 
punch a little harder than others, I suppose. So yeah, overall, it's just a really well-crafted film. And his cat, I don't know. I still like Dog Soldiers a lot, dude. Yeah. I'm not saying any, there's nothing negative I can really say about this film. Really fucking enjoy it, you know? There's certain things is like, once again, I like the creatures and stuff like that, but man, werewolves are a whole different beast, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They pose a whole different threat. Which one is scarier? That's up for debate, but I still think this is a really solid film. It'll be like my 15th time saying it this podcast, but have you seen Doomsday? I, I've seen bits and pieces, man. It's like one of those films I'll get into like maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, and then something distracts me, and then I pick it up in weird parts later on. It's fucking wacky. It's fucking wacky. It's like three, I need to watch it all the way it's like three different movies thrown together. I, I think you'd really enjoy it. <laughs> I remember hey, I remember the, the more recent time. I watched probably like the first 35 or 40 minutes of it, and then I just haven't picked up from there, so I need to finish it up. It's like... Uh... Escape from New York yeah, mixed yeah. with Borderlands mixed with Excalibur. I like all three of those. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like Neil Marshall, man. He's proven that he can do some really cool stuff, you know. And the thing about his character, and this is what I get out of it, is, you know, because we know people like to work with other people that they know and what have you, but. To go from, honestly, to go from like working with all dudes, because if you're a dude, it's pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you find some cool dudes like they did in Dog Soldiers. All I'm those a dude, dudes. You're a dude. We're all dudes. We're all dudes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we get it. <laughs> but then to like turn around and to cast an all female ensemble and that like really, really make them feel, you know, capable and competent and they're all fucking awesome. They were all good, man. And you didn't have to like lean on stereotypes and, you know, mm-hmm. all this other shit that normally would happen in horror films. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but, you know, there are certain things that happen. We all know this. But I can see why it gets the praise it does, too. You know, it is a more accessible film, I think. But yeah, I, without learning too much. Yeah, I, I really like it. It was, it was fun to revisit. And I think that's another fun thing about this podcast is that was one of our intentions while we do this in the first place is... Stuff we've either haven't watched in a long time or put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to revisit, and uh, I'm glad we revisited this one. Solid film. So we do have next week picked. <laughs> we did our homework, man. We Somewhat, did. you know. We have the next fucking two weeks. We did say we are going to make a change. That's right. New year, new us's. I know, right? Maybe without all the baggage from last year, but, you know. Oof. Well, I mean... Some would consider next week's movie to be, in itself, just as bad as last year was total. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely debate and argue that. Next week, in honor of the latest release from Unearthed Films, we will be covering a Serbian film. And it is that Serbian film. (laughs) A A movie that, when we first started this podcast... Behind the scenes, we said a couple times, there's probably no reason for us to ever cover a Serbian film. We're there. Yeah, we found a reason. (laughs) We found a reason. (laughs) We found it. We found it. So we're there. We're going to talk about it. It should be an experience. Yeah, it always is. Especially if you don't know why we're talking about it in these terms. Yeah, definitely strap yourselves in if you join us on that one. So... That'll be next week, but for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out.
Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.